This episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. And with me, always—not always, I guess—with me this one time um, is a very special guest um, that we are thrilled to have that we are going to introduce in one minute. Um, but before we get to what I think is going to be a really fun and important interview. Um, Laura, do we have any business? What's the rundown? Anything? We've got our holiday party, yeah. which is actually just our office hours where people can come on and ask us questions about publishing. Um, that is happening next week. You can find the date and time over on our Patreon. And also, if you are a Patreon subscriber, uh, I shared a very secret, special <laughs> holiday you? cookie I recipe. I forgot you were doing that. Yeah, yeah that you can um, as like a little treat for our little holiday party slash office hours. So you can head on over there. Um, and, you know, bake some cookies and have delicious cookies while we are answering your burning questions about, like, option clauses and whatnot. That's right. Um, um. And as always, if you have anything you want us to talk about or you have queries or first pages that you would like to submit to us for, to, for critique on air, you can send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. So. As anyone who follows this show or publishing news uh, more broadly certainly knows by now, um, the HarperCollins Union is on strike, I believe, and I'm sure if I'm wrong, I'll be corrected momentarily, but I believe today's day 20. Um, And for that reason, we have an interview today with someone that I am very excited to talk to. We are now talking with Rachel Cambery, uh, who is an associate editor at Harper Business and Harper Wave. Um, Hi, Rachel. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> Welcome I'm... to the show. Um, we're very glad to have you. And um, I can just say, too, like, um, you know, we're excited to talk to you about union stuff and strike stuff. And it's also just nice to talk to you because um, over the years, you and I have had a good back and forth on a bunch of different projects. It's always been a pleasure to work with you in those ways. And so it's fun to be able to kind of hear you know, a more full sense of your perspective, you know, from where we are right now. So, um, I mean, I guess my first question or anyone's first question is like, how's it going down there? I know that you were just coming from the picket line. I literally, I literally just got in through my front door about five minutes before you sent the zoom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the zoom invite. So it's like, go, go, go. Uh, so it is, it is day 20. And we are going, honestly, I would say as strong as we ever have, if not stronger. That's awesome. Um, the support behind us has only grown. Uh, we have a big event. You know, what started as just like, you know, just a rally, quote unquote, uh, next Friday on the 16th has now become an even bigger, an even bigger thing. We've got now a whole bunch of authors coming down to join the rally to, uh, I think they're going to like, offer stuff I don't know I don't like I don't know what the whole idea is at the moment but I know that there's going to be a big rally next Friday mm-hmm. um and just the just that like just the fact that we're 20 days into this we've got more events coming we've got authors and people on the picket line and just everyone and anyone and everyone in between sort of offering up ideas about how to keep up morale and keep the keep the donations coming in and keep the word spreading 
about this so that we are not sort of locked in this uh, echo chamber of, of yeah. the industry, right? And that was one mm-hmm. of my concerns starting out with this. Not, I was like 100% like, yes, we should go on strike. Like, this is unacceptable and we need to move this needle. But the concern more so in terms of sort of strategy and in terms of tactics of, of sort of knowing, you know, Eric knows this, um, but your listeners, many of your listeners probably won't, but I have a deep background in studying World War II history. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my running joke is that I'm beloved by dads everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to make that joke, and I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I'm, I am every dad's favorite visitor to the house, uh, regardless of context. So like, oh, I have so many things to talk to you about. Anyway, uh, but all that being said, so I, have a, I, I like to think I have a, a strong appreciation or stronger appreciation for, for things like morale for things like you know making sure that the ranks are supported you know the rank and file is supported throughout the entire mission basically and that's what this Mm -hmm. is like we are on a mission to get a contract yes but to also hopefully in a much broader sense bring about a sort of sea change to publishing that is decades overdue right so i want to talk let's zero in there for a second because like in just in case someone listening to this or maybe they've checked out of our show for a while or mm-hmm. something and they're coming back for the first time, um, tell us, like, let's just start with the most fundamental thing. The HarperCollins Union went on strike, which means you guys are asking for something. Could you tell us a little bit about, like, that decision to go on strike, what you guys are hoping to see in terms of change, any of those, like, just basic fundamental asks? Yes. So the to- so our three asks at this point, This is this is down from... I think we had like six pages of proposals at the start sure. of at the start of this mm-hmm. negotiation process in December of 21. We are now down to three things. We are down to a uh, raised entry level salary of fifty thousand dollars, which is a five thousand increase five thousand dollar increase from our current entry level salary of forty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Our uh, the other ask one of the other asks is that we want to. Uh, incorporate and codify language around diversity, equity, and inclusion into our union contract so that especially young new employees into the industry are protected both by the union and by uh, a contract that will not change regardless of whether state laws change, you know, in terms of, uh, because as we've been seeing lately, laws can change on a dime and yeah. not for, and not for the better. So our, <laughs> never for the better. Ne- and never for yet. the better or rarely for the better. So we want language in our contract that that's basically certifies or or concretizes uh language that says basically like if you are hiring for this kind of position or for any position, you have to interview x number of people. You have to inter- mm. you have to like actually do do you have to do your due diligence and sure. don't just and don't just hire the Columbia summer course grad who you know that your that your friend it's your friend's kid or whatever yep um you know we have we have enough of those hires to last us for a few more decades i think i think we can (laughs) sure do we can start to sort of expand our horizons a little bit so that's number two and number three is stronger union union excuse me stronger union protections overall which means essentially uh turning what is currently an open shop union into a closed shop so that the moment you enter the company, the moment you are hired, you are a member of the HarperCollins union and you are benefiting mm. from all of the protections that we mm. fight for and enjoy, um, or at least get to take advantage of. Sure. Um, 
And that one I think is also leading, you know, and I'm sure we're going to sort of pivot to this uh, next, but, uh, or at least soon, but there was, you know, there's been some pushback on on these points, of course, from the higher ups and most notably this idea that a closed shop isn't fair to, to you know, entry level employees because, oh, the union dues are so expensive. Uh, I take I get about 30 bucks taken out of every paycheck and I don't miss it. I will say that up yeah. front. And yeah. also uh, to say that union dues are are probably too expensive for uh, for entry level employees. That just, you know, if you're saying that, that means that you know that our salaries are too low to afford. I was going to say, then maybe you should pay more. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of a lot of the pushback that we've been getting since at least since the strike started has been a lot of doubling down on misinformation and scare tactics that are meant to union bust, that are meant to dissuade us Mm -hmm. from striking, to continue to dissuade us certainly from continuing to strike to chip away at our ranks, to uh, demoralize people into a state of, you know, well, it's never going to change, so we should might we might as well go back to work, right? Um, that's not what's happening, and thankfully so. Um, every, every well, so let's talk about yeah. let's talk about that for a second, yeah. like this morale question mm-hmm. that I love how focused you are on, and I think that's really cool that you know you're like your focus is on like the energy, you know, to make this thing last, to kind of keep people up and like. At least from afar, um, I have noticed that it really does seem like a, a huge swath of the industry um, is rallying behind you guys, yeah. right? Like yeah. we've seen the, you know, I know that authors, you know, came together and signed a big letter. I know that agents, you know, one that you and I signed, Laura, like it seems like different parts of the industry have really come to see your guys' fight as everyone's fight, which yes. to yes. me feels really key, you know? I agree. I really agree. And I think this was a conversation that really started in earnest. I want to say back in 2020, I was look, looking through some old tweets of mine uh, recently sort of on this subject to kind of, I was like, what were my, you know, what were, what were points that I made, you know, two years ago yeah. on the subject? Yeah. Uh, but that's when I really started to notice, uh, you know, especially around like the Woody Allen walkout and our yeah. first, right. and especially also our first strike this summer. <laughs> Uh, back on July 20th, which was really starting to finally get authors talking about this and understanding that this affects them too, that our our being unable, and I wrote something to this effect recently about the strike or during the strike uh, for a newsletter was basically like, we need to, you know, we want to be in those rooms. We want to be acquiring these authors. We want to be working with you long term, but we can't do that if we can't afford to be in that room or any of these rooms, right? And so this absolutely, you know, it, you know, there will always be editors, there will always be authors, but it's like, if we want to see the change in this industry from top to bottom and everywhere, everywhere in between, it's like, this has to be a group effort. It just right. does, it just does. That's the, that is the position that the executive level of publishing has put us in is on the one hand saying over and over again that the authors are paramount, the author experience is paramount, author care is is the most important thing uh, in, in terms of our, what we do and in terms of our jobs. Okay, well, how would you define author care then if, if one author, I know authors who have gone through three editors on one book. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, that is, that is the antithesis of author care, in my opinion. Well, so- 
so let's get there for a second because I do think that you and I deal with this all the time. Oh, I'm we sure. I can't, <laughs> like, I can't even imagine. I'm like, I feel, and that's where I'm like, I really want the agents to be a part of this conversation too. Right. Because you are, you are the ones who are having to navigate that fallout in real time and for much longer than the, than the departing editor has to deal with. And yeah. I also think like one thing I've seen with this strike, cause you're right. You know, you pointed out at the beginning here that a lot of different like strike busting you know, tactics mm-hmm. have been used mostly so far in the form of like, you know, misinformation and leveraging different things. But one workers. thing that I really noticed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one thing that I really noticed early, and it's something that appears not just right now, though certainly a lot as you guys take a really like, you know, definitive action here, but always, which is having people's, you know, like passion for working in books leveraged against them and mm-hmm. maybe even pit against the experience of the writer. Right. Like one thing I've seen expressed is like a I think some people probably have the concern in good faith. But I know from I know it did not start from a place of good faith, wherever this talking point came from, that you guys going on strike is bad for the authors. Right. Like what about all these authors who are caught? And like I think that most people who follow this kind of stuff know they know the basic point here, which is like you know, writer conditions are editor conditions are, you know, everyone is sort of in this together. But I'm hoping that maybe you could talk for a second about mm-hmm. like just like address that one for yeah. anyone who may be wondering, like, what about the writers who are left in the cold during this? You know exactly. what I mean? Like, how would you kind of characterize that? So I would I would say to that and I've you know, and I again, I wrote a piece about this and I've just yeah. I, but I've still been sort of ruminating on it because the question, you know, we're we're on day 20, you know, yeah. deadlines, deadlines are being fully missed. Um I would say to that, uh, to really think about who's to blame in this situation or who is who is exacerbating that pain. Um, because it is a pain to know that your print date is being missed or p- could potentially mm-hmm. be missed or your edits not is not getting done in a timely manner. All those things that matter to authors, matter to editors and to everyone in publishing. This is not just an editor issue. This is a industry-wide every single department experiences this and suffers these pain points and so do the authors when when we're on strike and we know that we talk about it on the picket line every single day checking Mm -hmm. in on each other's authors being like hey how is this person doing have you heard anything we're we are hyper aware of how much this is hurting you because it we are out there because it's been hurting us the point the point that i would make uh is to think about then why are we still out there then? If this is hurting authors, yeah. why are like, why why are we still on the street? We have we have offered, and I want to make this clear to people: the reason we went on strike, a big part of the reason we went on strike, was because we presented our our negotiating committee of the union presented HarperCollins with an with an with a proposal that had a clear line to settlement, and management said no to that. Uh, they they rejected our final proposal and that's when we decided to go on strike because at that point it's like we can't go any lower these are these are the big things these are important things that need to be done for the health and future of our industry just even just our company Mm -hmm. Um, and they wouldn't meet us there even we're asking for 50 I want to make clear to people we're asking for $50,000 this is still well below what would be considered a livable salary in New York City in 2023 uh, which right now is upwards of I think around fifty-eight to fifty-nine thousand dollars after taxes. 
So yeah, wow. So yeah. very, very. We are asking. For, we are asking for so little. We are asking for about a million dollars or less in raises at the end. Total. In total. Like, for you know, crazy. and that's you know, of course, like that, that builds year over year, and there's raises then year after year on top of that. But these are all proposals that we presented to management, and management said no, and that is why we are out on the street. Management. It is management. Most recently, yesterday morning. Uh, our CEO said the door is open. You know they're welcome to come back in at any time and continue to negotiate. No, that is not what happened. That is not the direction the door has swung. The door is open in management's direction right now. We are right. waiting for them to return to the table. It is not the other way around. And so for authors who are hurting, I encourage you to look at that, look at it that way, and really consider the fact that the we are not the reason we are on strike is because we otherwise do not have power. This is us expressing the only form of power that we have, which is as a collective of people who are mm-hmm. who are really the ones making these books and make and publicizing them and marketing them and really like doing the sort of thankless grunt work of publishing that loves to chew up and spit out young people year over year over year. Mm-hmm. And this is us finally saying enough. This is uh, this is so abusive and unnecessary and it's time to do something different what you know you can meet us at the table now because we have been meeting we have been meeting management at their table on their terms for decades not just forever, as, not yeah. just forever since the since the inception of this industry this is the way it's been done and that yep. is their excuse is that this is how it's always been done and their mistake was in hiring a bunch of millennials and gen zers <laughs> who were like that is the stupidest possible use of quote unquote logic that we've ever yep. heard like the, the resounding sentiment among us is if you suffered, if you experienced all of that hardship and abuse coming up through the industry when you did, you know, we're saying this to our managers and to, our, to the executives, yeah. if you went through all of that and then you got to a position where you could change that, why didn't you? Yeah. That is that is the question. I really wish I could just like look these people in the eye and ask that question and go, why didn't you change that? Is it because your boss said that this has always been done this way and that's why? And then you just accepted that and said, okay, like what, what was the process there? I want to actually, and I think there's this under this idea that we're on strike because we don't want to hear what management has to say. I do like, I want to, I want to, I would love to hear their logic behind this and not in the corporate BS kind of way. I want to know, like when you, you know, I want to ask Brian Murray, like when you entered this industry, what were the things that you wanted to change and where, you know, did you want to actually change anything or were you just okay with the status quo? If that's the case, that explains why we are where we are. But if we're dealing with people who maybe once had dreams of changing the industry in big ways or small and then gave up, that's a problem because that means that the further along you go, the less inclined you are to make waves. And at this point, it's either we make waves or we all go under. And I can't tolerate that. I can't, right. I can't bear that. And that is why I, I especially have been so sort of adamant about speaking out about this, even before the strike, even well before any of this. And Eric knows this from following me on Twitter since I started <laughs> in this industry is like, I can't shut up about this stuff. And it's because I'm so frustrated and I'm so upset. And if there's one thing that I've learned is that talking amongst ourselves is all well and good and in many ways is extremely beneficial and extremely helpful because that's how we learn 
what each other makes and how we can negotiate for ourselves and can support each other through hardship, whether it's Venmoing each other 20 bucks every other week to get through to payday, yeah. whatever it is. Like that's how we support each other in the short term. But what about the long term? Because I look up from those the DMs and the group chats and then I just see, oh, this person has left and this person has left you know incredible talents who are publishing amazing books but they just can't they can't afford it anymore they've put in their that theme they're yeah. incredible talent but it's also they're leaving this industry with yeah. so much institutional oh, knowledge and then some exactly and what you know and we know why they are telling us why finally they're you know they there is a venue there's twitter there's social media for them to actually air those grievances and not just say, well, I said my piece in my exit interview and then right. go silent. It's like, no, these are the reasons why I'm leaving. These are, and every single time, it's pretty much the same thing every single time. And there's there's no real good reason for it, I think. You know, and if the, and the, the excuses that we are given in terms of this is the way it's always been done, or there's not enough money, or there's not enough this, there, all of that is untrue because we know there's money like there's plenty right. of it it's that we are still operating this industry still operates under this model of reaganomics that does not work and has not worked ever really but because this industry has been populated by a certain kind of person in terms of their background and in terms of their income or in terms of their spouse's income or family whatever it is there's really been no one to kind of rattle the boat this way for generations. And again, they, you know, they had no other choice but to start hiring younger people. And lo and behold, this is what we're talking about. This is what we care about. And the part about yeah. it not working mm-hmm. for, I think there's something really interesting there that kind of gets into some questions about the industry at large, because like you're right that for, people in our generation and any sort of younger staffer or assistant or associate level person and even probably higher up at this point Mm -hmm. like this stuff isn't working but it is there is like the question is then why are they doing it and one crass answer is that it is working it's just not working for us it's working for other people it's working for management it's working for these companies bottom lines and we see that sort of stratification in a number of ways, and I guess I, I really saw it underscored the other day when you know, it's like you just said, you put it really well. Like you guys are asking for like the total across all people, like a million bucks, yeah. right? What did like you guys just signed? You guys, I say you guys, it's not you guys, but like Harper Collins just signed a book by Ron DeSantis, yeah, Ugh. and that advance was pretty high. Oh yeah. Probably and, covered all those raises. And so it's and mm, so it's and like, then some and then some, right. yeah. <laughs> and so the question becomes like, clearly the money is there. Clearly yeah. there is a model that's being pursued here. It's just one that doesn't seem to take into account the lives and experiences and general well-being of the people who actually do the work. Well, know? it's a model that's weaponizing the workers' passion against yeah. them yeah. rather than giving workers an opportunity to use their own passion towards improving and growing the company in like fun and artistic ways instead of like depressingly capitalistic ways. 
Exactly. And that that is another part that confuses me so much because it just doesn't make business sense. Good, It right. does not make good business sense to me and to a lot of people I know who know about these things who are like, wouldn't you want like people who are not only passionate about the product, but also know everything about it and know the business inside and out? Wouldn't you yes. want to keep those people at all, you know, and spare no expense? You know, the this is not this is skilled labor. There's no such thing as unskilled labor, period. But this is definitely, you know, this is certainly skilled labor, unique labor that, you know, plenty of people love to read, but not everyone wants to work, you know, wants to actually publish books. It's and also I, labor based on experience, right? Yes, like you, it's, yes. it's the it's the sort of job that you only get good at by doing it. Yep. And so when you like no some, matter how many like six or eight week courses you right, exactly. Exactly. Columbia, exactly. you have to do it. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. And but I think that that's another way in which they're they then turn around and go, well, we can afford to pay you so little because there's 400 of you just waiting right outside the door because this is an apprenticeship yeah. based model based business. So we have thousands of apprentices, you know, baby, you know, baby assistants who would love to take your spot you know, just say the word that, that, and that's sort of what we are given, at least most of us. And I certainly was at the, at the outset of my career of just like, yeah. congratulations, welcome to publishing 400 people. You beat, you know, you beat out 400 people for this job, which on the one mm-hmm. hand, huge compliment on the other hand. Oh God. If you make a mistake, yeah, they'll, like, they'll just pick one of them. Right. Or if you don't like it, or if you, you know, if, if you decide, if you decide that this is, you know, the salary is too low, it's like, I'm not the one deciding the salary. They are. Yeah. Like yeah. they're, you know, and so they it's this perfect sort of ouroboros of, you know, the they don't pay a lot at the entry level and then they get a whole bunch of applicants and they get a whole bunch of new assistants year over year and then those assistants leave within a year because they don't get paid enough to do the amount of work that they're being asked to do. And the cycle just repeats itself over and over and then what really gets me is when then management and HR and all these people sit there scratching their heads going, I just don't understand why we have so much turnover. That's typically where, like, at least in sure? other industries and sometimes in publishing, it's, it becomes a question about like millennial character, right? Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, we just don't like staying in these jobs. We just don't like, we don't understand company right, loyalty. We're not loyal. these and it, right. <laughs> yeah. And it's oh, like, well, let's take a look at what we're supposed to be loyal to, you know? What I not mean? only, I like, mean, it also, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, I was going to say, it also is upholding a lot of institutional policies and structures that are really racist yep. because, you know, who can put up with being abused and overworked and underpaid for a really long time? People who have support. Yep. Um, and maybe aren't the kind, maybe, you know, in terms of their, either their race or their religion or their sexuality or their gender expression, don't cause, you know, don't make people uncomfortable and therefore right. yep. are not suffering the microaggressions and the overt racism and the overt sexism and everything yeah. awful that happens to all of my friends on the picket line that, you know, that we talk about where it's just like, oh, remember when this person said that? Oh, yeah, like. That was yeah. and and they only said that because the person in question was not a white girl, you know, or a white yeah. or a white man. Uh, that these there are so few, there are so many of us, you know, who look the same and sound the same, but maybe don't have the same experiences. This is one of the reasons why I have, you know, been speaking out so much. It's like generations of women who look just like me 
put their heads down and said nothing. And this is where we are. And I do not think it is the responsibility of young hires who are non-white, you know, who, who are trying to, you know, who themselves are breaking this mold of publishing for the better. Like they have enough on their plates and they're, they experience enough, frankly, bullshit. Pardon my, pardon my friend. (laughs) They, they, they deal with enough bullshit I, I can, I can handle, calling you know calling executives out to their faces like yeah, yeah. they don't they don't need to they don't need that target on their backs as well but you know and again it's like too many too many women who look just like me did nothing and i'm i'm like no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna maintain that status quo because that is the status quo it doesn't work for me it doesn't work for any of my friends and for those that it does work for look at what's happened look at the industry that has come of that um and it's just it's untenable at this point it's been untenable for a long time but it's reaching a point where they're like i'm firmly i'm convinced that they're just not going to have a workforce at least at least not one that they can that actually is reflective of the world that we live in and the books that people actually want to read that industry will not exist if this continues at this rate it just won't um there's been some like misinformation that has been coming not just from C-suite, but has been coming from news outlets that aren't fact-checking, that are, you know, giving, yeah, giving, like, (laughs) um, what was it? Was it Publishers Weekly that put in a figure about the average publishing salary, but they include, but it was average, not median, and they also included author advances, which is very clearly... (laughs) I didn't see Author that. Author advances no. are not a salary. Oh my God. <laughs> Most like I don't even I can't I don't even have the words to describe how foolish that was on so many levels. Like not just not just in a mathematical sense. And I rubbish at math. First of all, like I'm not a math person. Even I know that that was a bullshit number. <laughs> but but that part yeah. of like oh this also includes book advances. I'm like are you kidding me? <laughs> like. Absolutely absurd. Yeah. Absolutely absurd and just in- incorrect. And I think, yeah, when it comes from news sources, whether they're industry news sources or the New York Times, like even the New York Times on day one of the strike, you know, which and like technically not misinformation, but the way the framing of it was so not cool because their framing of it was, well, this is 250 people out of a 4,000 strong workforce, you know, global workforce. So they're really, it, you know, the, the sense that this is a drop in the drop in the bucket kind of thing. Like these people sure. don't matter. Right. Um, Not to mention that 250 people is 50% of the, of the New, New York, York office. office. Like they, no mention of that. Just 250 people out of 4,000, right? That kind of framing, like that, that is deliberate. That, that language is... Voice, oh, right absolutely. and so when that kind of misinformation comes out of whether it's the ceo or the c-suite or hr or the new york times or pw you name it the fact that that happens and it is so consistent and has been consistent throughout the strike is very telling i think you know their motivations are their own from across you know all of those sources but none of it's good and all of it speaks to this sense of fear i think that exists among these upper echelons of people who like you were saying before really like the status quo the status quo has done great things for them you know and yeah. 
they have yeah. the they have the nice homes and the you know the nice paychecks to prove it and yeah all of these people have their own stories and their own lives and there's you know they're supporting who knows what other family members you know they're they're they have lives that we can't you know that we don't know about right but so do we and the fact that right. you know i would love i would dearly dearly love to challenge brian murray to live off of forty five thousand dollars a year in 2022 or 2023 since it's december <laughs> uh i don't i have no concept yeah. of time anymore um you know oh, like God, who does but you know what i mean point. where it's just like they if you know if they think that being paid this little isn't a big deal they should try it i would love to see them try sure and and yep. and how many roommates do you think Brian Murray could get? <laughs> How many, you know, and like, and that was the thing too, where it was just like, I remember when I was at my last uh, company at Hachette and trying to explain to people, like, I live in a slum and I cannot escape. And they would go, well, well, don't you have savings? No. I'm like, well, well, don't you, don't you have a guarantor? No. Well, don't you have this? No. Like, what what part of I am poor and am being paid poverty wages don't you understand? And yeah, well, so that's that. So that's an interesting yeah. question because part of the reason so much of this stuff subsists, I think, is because for a very long time the industry has like inadvertently and maybe even just mm -hmm. intentionally it's been selecting for people who don't understand yes. that kind yes. of stuff, right? Like. I do think that publishing has for women before they go yes, off and get married to a big exactly. business guy. Like it has sort of a I think publishing does have a little bit of a class oh, consciousness problem, absolutely. you know what I mean? Like I, I think that it's not necessarily and I, I wonder like one thing I love about this strike, I mean there's a million things about this kind of thing that I think is so brave and, and good, but like I feel like it's the one of the very first truly like overt concrete actions that makes the point that is extremely basic, I think, to the people in this conversation, but a lot of people don't really connect, which is like, you guys are yeah. workers. Like, it's, you're not like, these not are not, you know, bougie jobs. Exactly. Like, these are, you are someone who does labor and deserves to be treated fairly for it. And I think that it's that kind of narrative, it's sometimes a difficult sell in the popular imagination yeah. that, you know, it's, you know, like, I feel like when people say worker, you know, for way too long, people have associated that with, you know, whatever sort of Blue traditional yeah. kind of job, yeah. you know what I mean? But, like, this is that, and that is who's on, I don't know, like, I just think it's really important that you guys are, like, making those class lines really Absolutely. clear, too. And it know? makes them very uncomfortable, right? Because, yeah. you know, no one likes being shown, you know, the, the unflattering parts of themselves in the mirror, right? Yeah. And we are holding up a mirror to these people and saying, this is this is who you are. We are asking you to be better. You know, the the this line from the CEO's recent memo saying, you know, well, our salary is competitive with others in the industry. So be so so set yourself apart. Be a leader. So beat them like who, whatever happened. Yeah. Not, like, yeah. why are you hiding behind Simon and Schuster? and Penguin Random House, when you could step both feet out ahead of them and say, you know what, we're going to break the mold and say entry level starts at 75,000, like, because that is what it should be for every, every any job in New York City in the year that we're in, uh, period. So why not do that? Like, 
this is this is a company owned by Rupert Murdoch, owned by News Corp, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Like the money is there, but Rupert Murdoch hates unions. Yep. So go figure. <laughs> but to your point about the to yeah. your point about class consciousness, I think it was I think it's both. I think it's both deliberate and unconscious because as we know from time immemorial, people, you know, people especially in hiring positions are sort of drawn to people who remind them of themselves for various reasons. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. what happens then is that you, re- you the result is an industry that is entirely reflective of everyone who has already been in it for years. And these are people who do not raise do not raise questions, especially not difficult ones. They do not, you know, at least from what I have seen and what I have experienced personally firsthand are still you know they still whisper to each other they still use those whisper networks but they do not speak up in the room they do not they will Mm. not i think the 2008 recession absolutely impacted people's sort of clutching to their jobs you know i I, and i Mm -hmm. can appreciate that they feel lucky to still have the career that they have you know that they originally wanted and are still in it and they will cling to that with for dear life with all 10 fingers yeah um but again it's like you are choosing to perpetuate issues that impact not just your business for the worse but impact real human lives i could not afford to go to my grandpa's funeral because uh because of how little i was paid i had my my plane ticket to my grandpa's funeral was crowdfunded by military veterans most of whom i i did not know personally um the reason, yeah, the reason wow. I was able to help my stepmom through her hospice experience at before she died in summer of 2018. My grandpa, by the way, died in February of 2018. My stepmom died in July of 2018. The only reason I could afford her care and like my and the travel to and from Oregon and like all these things was because of some of the money that grandpa left behind, right? I got a very small windfall from that. So I was able to afford my stepmom's slow and painful death uh, and to then fly home after and pay rent, you know, pay back rent uh, because I was gone for a month kind of thing, right? I couldn't couldn't afford the death of my parent with this salary. And when I then later that same year managed to i very very and i'm gratefully grateful to be here to have done so but i you know i won the new york city housing lottery the the low income i got a low income housing apartment it's fantastic uh but it was still more expensive than my rent at the time and i couldn't afford it but the only reason i the only reason i was able to actually get this apartment and pay the deposit and pay the higher rent for the first few months was because of my stepmom's life insurance payout, which wasn't much, yeah. but it was oh. enough to get me the to get me the apartment and to move. Um, and to and like that's the thing, right? So many of these, these are things, these are tangible like, things that happen, and I am yeah, not the only person right. that has experienced things like this. Exactly, I am just one who's learned how to essentially weaponize my trauma to make to <laughs> in order to basically make people confront these issues in a way that they cannot look away yeah. from, and say. This is this is morally reprehensible. This is not just bad business. This is morally reprehensible what you are making people do in order to make ends meet. Uh, and in order to be able to go home and be with their parent while they die, right? Like I could not afford that 
if it weren't for my grandpa dying and I couldn't I couldn't have yeah. gone to my grandpa's funeral if it weren't for strangers on the internet not because of the job which I was working day and night to do and to do well and you know to make sure that authors because again author care is paramount so right. I'm you know while everything's going on I am still making sure those deadlines are being met and I'm making sure that those authors feel cared for and supported and all these things but I'm still going home to a, a, a shoebox apartment with no kitchen. I lived on a, I basically lived on my bed for three and a half years um, oh, in wow. a cockroach infested apart, fire trap of an apartment. Like this, this is a, a truly awful place. Uh, and that was, that was the first three and a half years of my career was in that apartment. And this, you know, me showing up and saying guys like this is unacceptable well you chose to be here it's like yeah because i believe that this is work worth doing but i also think that people deserve a living wage like and that right. should not be a, a revolutionary statement to make and yet here we are so there's we've we've talked a lot today about the the sacrifice and people burning out and just not being able to afford it but i think there's there's a really interesting point um, that has been brought to mm. my attention during this strike, which is the um, the the wages that that HarperCollins is paying is also a debt that like you you're you're asking your future to yes. pay off. Like a lot of people who are um, assistants and associates, and even if they get into it right out of college. Mm -hmm. They are sort of committing if they if they're if they're working at a big five in New York City, they're committing to mm -hmm. putting off their life until maybe their 30s or their 40s. Yep. Yeah. This this idea that, you know, you just got to put in 10 years and then you'll then you stand to make more money. It's like then you can have a vacation. Then you can exactly. have a family. Then like, you can get married. Look, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Like, Listen, as someone, as someone, like, I consider myself in many ways lucky to be alive. You know, car crashes sort of put things in perspective, even at a very young age. I, I forgive me for saying, like, no. Like, yeah. no one should have to wait any amount of time to actually start building the life that they want for themselves. And especially not in an industry where we are putting through payment requests in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And in some cases, in the millions of dollars, yeah. right? Yeah. And we are putting those payment requests through while we are sitting at home or sitting in the office if we have to, uh, wondering how we're going to feed ourselves for a week for the next week and a half because it was payday, but that money's already gone because of rent. You know, like my my first paycheck, guys, was nine hundred and eighty dollars. <sighs> my rent my rent was seven hundred and fifty. Yep. Yep. That like, sounds like familiar math. It's yeah, not good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's and that was extremely and it, to be fair, that's extremely cheap rent. But again, the conditions in which I was living were inhumane, genuinely. Yeah. Um, and I had to live there because I could not afford to go anywhere else. And forgive me for wanting to pursue a career that is meaningful to me and might actually do some good in the world. God help you know. God forbid. Yeah. <laughs> and like. I'm just thinking about the the bad business part as we sort of round, yeah. you know, into the latter part of this conversation here. Like it's because you're I mean, there's this idea that, you know, this is this model is working. 
for you know the people who it works for and it's not for the people who aren't. But one thing I'm seeing right now is you know the point that gets raised a lot is like publishing is an industry that in a lot of ways is built on relationships and it's built mm-hmm. on goodwill and it's built yeah. on like a lot of different like rapports with people. I know that's true of my work. I know it's true of anyone's work. And like yeah. what I'm seeing right and I'd be interested in your take on this like in terms of like the goodwill that Harper mm-hmm. Collins has, you know, built up over many years, because so many of you, like, one thing I want to make clear is I love working with Harper Collins. Like, I've got I mean, so many authors with Harper Collins. I mean, like, yeah. we like, yeah. like, you guys are a wonderful staff. Like, we yeah. think, and it's so, it's like, but when something like this happens, you know, and we see management behaving a certain way, like, do you think that this sort of, this sort of sequence, you know, this long strike, you know, all this kind of stuff, do you think it has the potential to alter, like, the brand, so to speak? Like, if, you know, a publisher trades on its reputation and things like mm-hmm. that, like, do you think there's any sort of that in play right now? I think I think a lot of damage has already been done, yeah. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, with, every, with every memo that goes out, with every bit of information that gets sort of leaked from within, you know... The damage is done you know you can't you can't you know you can't essentially subtweet the you know the agency that has like that sold the most projects in in the year and say well they don't really matter right like you can't you can't do that that you know this is an industry you're right like this is an industry built on relationships and you just like went full scorched earth on colleagues like not just people like these are colleagues that you are saying well they're not big agents so they don't matter or they're not big authors so they're so they don't matter so we don't care that they're not crossing the picket line exactly exactly and it's just like you know the thing that i think that they forget or what they really don't realize is that not only do we still talk to each other the way that we always have but we are doing so in the open and very very loudly and so the result that what results from that then is every misstep that they make it just gets amplified that much that much more and to that that many more people and it eventually starts to filter down up and down enough that they are going to see the negative impacts of these their decisions that they continue to make every single day during the strike they will consider they will see the repercussions of those decisions for years to come yeah uh, no. I can't say with any certainty what those repercussions will be or will look like, but they are going to see, I can almost guarantee you are, are going to see both financial and financial, you know, setbacks. They're going to see relationships dwindle, if not disappear completely. Uh, big submissions, they're, they're going to be passed over for big submissions. Um, scabs especially are going to see their submissions dwindle. Yeah. Um, this is this is not this is not an industry to where to mess with people and to take advantage of them and not only to do that but to do so so flagrantly while on while we are on strike and to call us auto workers and to call us you know us you know a fraction of a larger you know a larger workforce like yeah I did find we that are other but in... also <laughs> like we're half. Like Laura said before, we are half of the New York office, which is the center <laughs> of this entire operation, and they can't do their jobs without us. And then they're hiring 
new, you know, they're hiring young people to come in to scab and to do this work for them. But the managers don't know how to train them. Like managers don't train us. Our our peers do. Right. Right. It's arguably the entry <laughs> right. level publishing positions are the most highly skilled ones. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I would, no, I, would, I really like in terms of systems knowledge, yes, in terms yes. of yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In terms the of number, the number of tasks that they yeah. have to do and do well. It's incalculable. Like yeah. truly I sit down I sit down to like try to list all the things that I do. I'm like, I can't even keep track. Like at yeah. this point, especially especially at my level and for other associates, editor or otherwise across the industry, it's like not only are we trying, for example, like I'm trying to build my own list, but I'm also assisting Mm-hmm. to other people right mm-hmm. some some editors are assisting three people yeah. across, and trying to and across, you're across two imprints exactly so that's two, two systems you need to know two sets of brands you need to know yeah like yep. that's and, insane yeah and it didn't matter you know i came to harbor collins with five and a half years of experience already but my systems knowledge didn't matter at all because harper collins's systems are completely different so mm-hmm. i had to relearn a whole new set of systems from scratch right um you know, this is this is skilled work. This is work. All you know, and so long as we live under capitalism, work needs to be fairly compensated for. And any decision to do otherwise requires, I think, a level of reflection that a lot of people, especially at the executive level and above, either cannot fathom or do not want. They don't want to do that work because, right. as as we've been saying, like. They got they got theirs, and so they are going to hold on to it for dear life. But there is such an opportunity here, and I I, I keep trying to end these these conversations and these <laughs> these statements on a high note. But it really is it's like I can't begin to express the the opportunity that is here in front yes. of them, in front of all of us to to make a make a change to really create a domino effect that will transform this industry, and as a result potentially transform the world because imagine the books imagine the authors imagine who will finally have an opportunity to you know to say their piece yes because finally in a room full of editors you didn't have that one guy going you know i just don't see a readership for this <laughs> uh, yeah. and i've gotten that response from 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 people when I'm trying to acquire a project, fun fact: the the project where that was the response went on to be shortlisted for a Pulitzer. Of course, so, <laughs> that's always how it works. It's always how that works, right? But uh, it was, it was, yeah. it was, you know. Uh, but that is that is the kind of talent that we are bringing to the table, and are being undervalued for, and are being freely let go of, happily let go of, because it's easier for them to replace us with a yes man than it is to keep to keep us and pay us what we're worth and what we are demanding. And because to do so would mean that, I don't know, maybe it invalidates their experiences. I don't know what it is. I'm not their therapist. I am, I'm, therap- <laughs> I'm therapist enough for my authors. I, I don't need yes. to be theirs too. Yes. But it requires a level of introspection that I would encourage them to do because there are only benefits to be made and to be had from from that kind of change, really. Everybody um, can win here. That's the thing. Everybody can like, win from yeah. from the bus- from the business aspect all the way on down to just yep. the human experience of having to work <laughs> yep. for a living. Uh, you know, your your if your business runs because you underpay your entry level and junior level staff, 
and you expect those people to leave. And so you can just keep running at a profit because you are exhausting your workforce. Look at the reports coming from Amazon, right? Where they're running out of people to hire. They are running out of workers because the word is spreading that this, that, that job is abusive and untenable and underpaid. So people aren't even applying anymore. That's what's that like, that is what they are facing and that they do not see that. And it is not even over the horizon. It is on the horizon. We can see it. Mm -hmm. And so so Rachel, we've, we've, um, we know what you're asking for, (laughs) like very reasonable. Um, but one question we always like to ask people who come on our podcast is if you could change anything about publishing, Mm. kind of like pie in the sky, like go big, like how would it be different? What would it look like for you? Oh my God. That's like, it's, it's the kind of like, my God, my therapist always asks, asks me like, what's your fantasy? I'm like, you're talking to someone with like a too big imagination. Like it's like the possibilities are truly endless. Honestly, I would say like, we need to decentralize the industry from New York. We need to be able to say like, you know, and whether, and so that whether you're working remotely or not, like you have options in terms of places yeah. to live. Well, we're in Minnesota, uh, so we agree with that. Right, like you're already way ahead of us on that. Like you guys get <laughs> it because it's possible, it's feasible and it's doable and it works. Like that is not the issue. Um, God, I don't know. It's just, there's so many things that like I could just, I would dream of, right? I mean, we and spent then, the whole show talking yeah. about them. Yeah, like, start with the $5,000 raise. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and we'll go right from out there. The gate, right out the gate. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, make me CEO. I'll, I'll cut my own salary in half and just give it, you know, I'll just pass it back down because I don't need that much money. No one does. Like, just like the simple fact of the matter of it for me is, is like everything good will come from a livable salary at the entry yes. level. Mm. And the longer that they refuse to do anything of the sort, the longer they're going to see the repercussions play out for years and years and years. Versus if they just said, you know what? You're right. We're not just going to give you 50. We're going to give you that 75. We're going to give you whatever else. Um, and we're going to be the leader in this and make this change so that hopefully others follow suit. Um, and until that day comes, we'll be out on the picket line. Yeah. I honestly can't Amazing. imagine, yeah. like, if HarperCollins decided to pay entry level at $75,000, I can't imagine them losing an auction to any of I mean, no, I mean it, it would be really good, like... That kind of stability for an author is worth so everything. much. Everything. Uh, exactly. And, like, and that's the thing, too, where it's just, like, I've said, and I've said this before to other people, and to other sources where I'm just like, I would be so much better at my job if I didn't have to worry about money. Yep. Truly. And I would love to be that editor for people and to be an editor for the long haul and to develop those authors for not just the one book, but two and three and four and, you know, forever after kind of thing. Um, But, you know, we were talking earlier about like, well, no one's loyal anymore. It's like, well, you tell us right when we start that the only way to get more money is to go somewhere else. So, like, this is, you know, again, all of these things are top-down issues that could be resolved by a, just a change in pay. Like, yeah. Yeah. literally, it all comes back to this. We said the same thing to the folks at Hachette in 2020. We put together a whole presentation, a group of us, saying, you could afford to pay us $50,000 out the gate. 
you're wasting $4 million a year on turnover alone in one department. Mm. You know, yeah. There are there are quantifiable numbers to prove to you that prove like unequivocally that more money can only result in good things for everybody, including including the CEO and including the executive le- you know executive leadership committee, all the C-suite C-suite folks and all of the shareholders too. Everyone stands to benefit, but until again until that decision is finally made and made for the better we will be on the picket line and asking for that change and asking others to support us and to also show up themselves to ask for that change because the louder, the more people there are, the louder we are and the louder we are, the more likely likely we are to get the change that we want. And that so we while need. you're on the picket line, tell us yes. how yes. we as readers, as agents, as people with checkbooks, how can we support you? So, yes. So we have, uh, the emergency strike fund uh, fundraiser is ongoing. It will be ongoing throughout the strike. There is information aplenty online. All of the HarperCollins union has all all the socials. We'll tweet um, all this stuff out too. Yes. Yeah. So like the information is available on Instagram and Twitter. Um, but by all means, do send checks to the strike fund. Um, that information is available online. Um, there's, you know, people donate food to the picket line, coffee, stuff like that, uh, which is always, always welcome, always <laughs> wonderful. Uh, we, we try, we try to encourage people. We had enough pizza for the first like two weeks, I think, to satisfy all of us for the rest of the year. So get creative, <laughs> get creative with it, sure. you know, send, send vegetarian <laughs> options, uh, things like that. Tweet about it, retweet, repost, you know my my thing from the outset again as we were talking about before it's like i you know when we started the strike i was like what can i do in my own way to like help help keep this going and help maintain this energy because that that, those first couple days were just incredible and every day since has been incredible um and i decided morale was my thing because i just uh because that's just who i am as a person it's a great thing it's a great Uh, use of your talents but but this was this has been my my message from the jump, which is like we just need to know all of us on the picket line need to know that the support is just as strong, if not stronger now than it was on November 10th, that we know and that we feel that support <clears throat> in both tangible and intangible ways that we are so that no one is tempted or pushed into a place of despondency and regret and, you know, the sense of like, you know, I can't afford to do this. I'm just going to go back or screw all of this. I'm leaving publishing and I'm abandoning the picket line kind of thing. It's like we we need every we need every bit of help that we can get um, because we are up against a behemoth um, and behemoth. There we go. Um, and that, you know, we are a, a small but mighty force of people who are incredible and talented and diligent and committed to this work. Um, and want Harper authors across the board, across every imprint to have the publishing experience that they deserve. But we just need your help to get there. Yeah. That's it. That's and really keep it. buying books published by HarperCollins. Exactly. Do not, you know, and certainly do not leave, do, don't try to, don't, do not like leave one star reviews. That does not help. You know, just hold the reviews entirely. Um, yep. is really all we ask. Buy the books, by all means, but do not advertise about them. Do not, especially right now, 
don't include them in your yearly wrap-up lists, you know, of like, well, here are the best books that I read this year. It's like, don't even include them there. Or if you're going to include them, say, I wouldn't, you know, there are three more on this list, but I can't share them until the strike is over. Sure. Right? Things like yep. that. Like, don't, not crossing the picket line is so important. And it is a little bit of a kind of weird, what you know, a weird setup where it's like, what do you mean I can buy the books, but don't talk about them? It's like, yeah, <laughs> because... The, the buying of the books is going to be more important, I would say, to the author in the long run. Yep. Because as you guys know as agents, like, that's that's what so much of it boils down to is, well, how are their sales? And so long as that is the case, keep, excuse me, keep buying the books. Just don't, mm. just hold, hold the reviews. Don't not, don't, you know, when the strike is over and we have our contract, post away. Like, go crazy. Uh, but until then, just keep the reviews to yourself, you know, use, there's so many people on Instagram. There's so many bookstagrammers who are coming up with fantastically creative ways to talk about the strike mm -hmm. and mention that, Hey, I read this great book, but I can't tell you about it. So <laughs> like there, you know, people are getting really creative with it and it's so much fun to see. And we share yeah. it. We are literally on the picket line sharing like tweets and Instagram posts with each other and saying like, Oh my God, did you see this author said this or like wrote this email to, the people team like we are so excited every single time y'all like come up with a creative way of you know making our voices and making our message heard and it's just wonderful it it's and it's you know it's doing the job of keeping spirits up even as it gets colder even as the holidays creep up and we are you know scraping by you know it all helps and we are just so happy to, to have that support it means everything Awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. We are, um, what an awesome conversation. We're really glad that you were able to, you know, take some time, you know, fresh off the picket line to, um, <laughs> to come talk to us today. And obviously, you know, we're going to, in whatever our small ways are available, you know, we're going to do what we can to support you guys because you deserve it. You're fighting a fight that I think a lot of people um, are, have been thinking about for a long time. And I think you're giving people you're really expanding a lot of imaginations for how any of this can go, you know, and for that, yeah. I thank you and we support you and we look forward to Harper Collins coming back to the table and getting you guys a fair contract. So thank you. Thank you both so much again for the invitation, for the conversation, for the questions, all of it. And for the support. It's a, like, I've, I've, I've known Eric now for years and, uh, it's always a pleasure to see your name pop up in, you know, in my mentions or in the DMs <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and the fact that when we went on strike, I knew right off the bat, like, oh, Eric's going to be, Eric's going to support us. Like, <laughs> you know, the fact that there are so many colleagues, you know, industry colleagues who I didn't even have to think twice about yeah. in terms yeah. of like yeah. whether they would be supportive that's huge right like right. that that in itself is unprecedented everything we're, we are doing is unprecedented we the last time as a final anecdote the last time harper collins or the first time sorry that harper collins union went on strike in 1974 was for 17 days so we are officially three days record breaking we, we are officially the new record breaking strike for this industry and for the harper collins as a company and we could not be doing that without the support of folks like you too so thank you yeah well we are 
greatly looking forward to once you have a favorable contract uh, sending you more books. In the meantime, we Yay! are sitting on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so excited to read them. I truly am. I, you know, I miss reading proposals. I really do. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say how unsurprised we were that like the people at HarperCollins are the ones that are actually like doing this because yeah, there is, right? there is something, there is something really special about the staff that, yeah. th- like that these imprints attract. Um, and I will happily it, attest to that. Day, and like, it really, <laughs> it, yeah, it's just like beautiful people. I've had so many wonderful experiences working with across so many of your imprints and sub companies. Yeah. And <laughs> it really does feel like this is, a, a really defining moment in all of our careers and yeah. what a privilege it is to be able to, you know, stand there with you in solidarity. So ah. right. <laughs> I love it. I'm just going to so cry much, now. Rachel. It's all, good. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank Bye. you. See you on the picket line.